Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Your grief is going to do something to you. It's going to take control of you. It's going to beat you up. If you restrain it, it's going to hurt you physically and emotionally and mentally more than dealing with it and and going after it. It seems like it's never going to end. It It was a month every day, at least a month every day, maybe longer than that, that this was going on. It's been good since then. I mean, it gets... It gets better. Good is a wrong word. <laughs> Good's the wrong idea, but it's better. It is better. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. It's not too often that a widower, a man, will talk openly about grief, but my guest today, Daniel Doolin, took the time to share his experience of losing his precious wife, Kathy. He and Kathy were married for 48 years before leukemia snatched her from his embrace. And when I think about the stigma attached to a man showing emotion, I wondered, where does a widower find comfort? And because God has said that it is not good for man to be alone, I wondered if there's any purpose left after such a devastating loss. Daniel talks about taking control of his grief by embracing it, actually more like going after it, which I thought was very unique because whether male or female, I feel like our first response is to protect ourselves from it. But when he shared some of the benefits that he was experiencing by engaging his grief whenever it wanted to well up in his heart, they were pretty significant. So I can see why he'd continue using that method as part of the healing process. He talked about how cathartic and cleansing it was for him. He shared how it felt that it kept him from bitterness and the overwhelm of anxiety. He was seeing improvements, whether it be mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. As I was talking with Daniel, he said something that made me think, wow, he's been engaging God about death for quite some time. To me, it revealed the depth of his relationship, that level of intimacy, the comfort, the confidence that he has with God. All of us know that ain't none of us getting out of here alive, but we really don't want to talk about it. But that doesn't appear to be 
true with Daniel. He told me about an old prayer he used to pray. And it was my impression that this, that this was before Kathy was diagnosed with leukemia. And maybe it was a conversation he had with God because of the various health concerns prior to her diagnosis. But he was having a conversation with God about death. And he said, Father, when one of us goes, let us be a witness. If it's me, let Kathy be a witness. And if it's her, let me be a witness to those around me of your love and of your hope. So since God didn't take him home first, Daniel knows God must have a plan. And true to God's ability to give purpose to our pain, Daniel has become a certified ATD therapy dog handler. Now he and his blonde sidekick, a golden retriever named Amber, are able to have difficult conversations that most people feel are awkward and intrusive at best. Amber's sweet disposition softens the atmosphere as well as someone's heart. And that gives way for Daniel to have an honest conversation about the pain and struggle of cancer. He spends his time giving hope, encouragement, and unconditional love to those who are facing the fear of uncertainty and the potential of death. The more Daniel talked, the more obvious it became. Kathy was precious to him. He took her well-being, her safety, and her care very serious. You'll be able to hear it in his voice, his love for her, and how much he misses her. Be inspired by Daniel's story and by the beauty that is blossoming out of deep, deep anguish. Hello, Mr. Daniel Doolin, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show and to talk about some very personal things that you hold near and dear to your heart. So thank you for being here. Sure, Sherry. Thank you for asking me. We're here to talk about your wife, Kathy, 48 years, and I believe you said three weeks. Uh, I want to know what was life like prior to her cancer diagnosis? Oh, gee. Well, we had just retired three years earlier uh, from that time and uh, moved to Virginia Beach to be close to our kids. Uh, and it was a good time, a hopeful time. We were settled in the house and getting ready to uh, to try traveling some more. To, we really had a, a hunger to go out west. She wanted to see the Rockies. We just had that in our future. Think about going to Israel and, and doing those things. It had gotten past physical troubles in the last eight to 10 years, both of us. Kathy was an oncology nurse. She'd been one for, oh, gee, almost 30 years. And uh, but, but being a wife and a mother and a sister, she was also an artist and a gardener and always busy. There's always something going on. She couldn't understand how I could come in after working and we talk and that and I could just sit and I was fine. She said, we got to go do something, you know, we got, come on, get out. Of okay. So, and that just being the difference between guys and gals, I guess, you know? Um, yeah. We had a good life. I mean, every marriage has ups and downs, hard times, easy times, but it was never hard between us. It was all the external problems. I had, oh, this is back in, in 72. Um, I, I had uh, actually gone to the father, being raised a Catholic. I've had conversations, I believe, with the father since the time I was a little kid, you know, but I, just going to him and uh, asking him for my mate, my partner. I was just so tired of this the way of life I was in. And we met two weeks later 
And we didn't separate. I mean, we separated because I got transferred for work and just a delay time. But really, honestly, we never separated. And we were soulmates. I mean, it was a week after we met. And we're looking at each other and saying, where have you been? I mean, I was looking for you. You, you <laughs> were, you know, we were that familiar with one another that quickly. She's just love of my life, you know. And there's a hole that... Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in getting ready for this uh, interview, uh, just dug up some of that again, remembering the memories uh, uh, of the three years and um, where I am now. I know I'll never stop grieving, but it won't be the same as it's been. It should turn into, I think, a memory, the loving memory. She's further away for me emotionally, but not in my memory. You know, it doesn't take much for me to bring her in and, you know, to have her visit me, if you will, and hearing her voice over whatever, you know, I'm doing at the time. What brought you to the point of going to the doctor? Because I'm thinking Kathy's an oncology nurse. So when she gets a diagnosis, she's going to know immediately what they're talking about. What brought you in for the doctor's appointment? She had trouble with her lower back, and we had started the process of having of her getting lower back surgery and getting those uh, vertebrae stabilized. And the process, there, um, an MRI was done, and uh, the doctor noticed that her white count was up, and uh, she started getting more tired. And uh, we just, she really. Uh, <laughs> wasn't right she knew it so uh forgive me i don't remember exactly the steps but we ended up going to the doctor and the doctor referred us to the oncologist and the oncologist did a bone marrow and everything crashed Mm -hmm. i think she suspected it uh because she was she was strong gal she was constantly up but uh uh, she couldn't do the things she had done before. Life, it was just being more exhausting. And apparently it had gotten to the point where she needed treatment right now. There wasn't, you know, we can't wait two weeks or something. They got the uh, uh, report from the uh, bone marrow uh, sample, and she was in the hospital three days later getting chemo. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, and, uh, that's pretty quick. What was your faith like at that time? It sounds like you guys have been walking closely with the Lord throughout your marriage. Well, what would you say the condition of your faith was prior to this diagnosis? I, it was good. It, it was strong. We, we have been uh, believers since shortly after we got married. Our hearts were always constantly searching for the Father um, in our own perfect ways in a lot of times, but we were just loved Bible studies, loved listening to lectures, just we were always hungry uh, uh, for it. So when it came, and we had talked about so many things, we had talked about how everybody has a timeline. At some time, we're all being called. That's Father's going to call us home, and that's it. Now, whether it's kind of think is you've accomplished everything he wanted you to accomplish, and she went home. Uh, and we got a lot of time. I mean, Kathy was 68 when she passed away. 
to me, it sounds young to a lot of people out there say, oh, gee, she had a long life. I'm saying, no, no, I'm, I'm looking at another 20 years. I wanted her with me. But uh, she was wise enough and had enough knowledge that she knew something was going on. Now, during the process, uh, I don't think anything changed. Uh, there were a lot of times when I wasn't with her. I couldn't be with her because of the COVID. And, uh, I had very limited time in the hospitals uh, for a while. And um, I know she went through dark periods. All of us would. Yeah. But she never gave up and I would come in and hear her witnessing to the nursing staff and you know uh yeah that continually went on you know that trust and that hope uh never faded now that doesn't mean that uh, she wasn't angry she wasn't scared she wasn't hurting she wasn't saying why is this happening all those did you ever, such, did you ever oh, say me? those things? Yeah, did you ever ask God why or were you ever angry with oh, God? Sure. I was angry. I was mad that it was happening. Yes. Uh and I did. I cried out, why why are you doing this? Where are we going to with this? But that doesn't mean that I was rejecting them because I also had uh the knowledge of so many other people that had suffered and suffered through such physical disabilities or even harder things and that you can't judge God by what's taking place because his vision, his understanding, which is a real understanding of death is just a doorway to greater life. To us, it's frightening to him. It isn't what is, you know, it's like, Oh, I hate to use this, but it's uh, it's like a child that you have to take and they have to be given a shot because they're sick mm -hmm. and they're terrified of the shot. But you and the parent knowing that once that's done, the child's going to be good again. Well, it's not the same, but I've never lost trust. I've I, I felt a lot of pain for her because of where she was. And because she was so sick, she had drawn back. And that's what happens when people are sick, uh, especially at that level. They draw into themselves a little bit uh, and cut themselves off from the outside world. But that's but, a lonely place to be, that kind of pain, that oh, level of pain. You can't reach that for her. No, I mean, I, I think can't. only Christ is capable of reaching that place of pain. No. And when I say that, it makes me think of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. What do you think about that? Any thoughts with regard to your wife suffering like she did and sharing in the sufferings of Christ? I think it's in, in those times, it's a safe statement of trust, of faith, of real, uh, of hope that what you're going through is not greater than what you believe, that there's a great sadness because you are hurting as much as you are, uh, but no, I think it, it takes, it's not an easy thing to accept and know this, but I know from seeing it happen myself that it was a great statement to our families and it had nothing to do with us. I was taking care of her. I had nothing else. I had blinders on. It was just 
everything I can do for her and, uh, and uh, how she was. But she was such a great witness. Even when she came home, uh, she passed away six weeks after we came, after the time in the hospital. And she was in a hospital for over a year, uh, for the most part. Uh, our families came. And they saw her and she was still uh, uh, when she was getting blood transfusions and getting platelets, they were still active. They were bringing her back up and she was more of herself. And uh, that stopped after uh, her family came and left. Everybody had seen her and talked to her. And it was just like a door closing Mm -hmm. on the week before they had helped her. They were gaining her strength. And then this week, nothing. And at that moment, we both knew that it was a short time. I was going to uh, ask you, when did you, when did it hit you that she was not going to recover this side of heaven? I think when she had her heart attack, um, I had a great hope she had chemo and then won a second opinion and uh, she got it and decided that a bone uh, marrow transplant was the way to go. And I had great hope through that. But um, she had that in July, and it was the middle of August when she got out of the hospital into the doorways, which was a place right next to the hospital. We couldn't be more than 20 minutes from the hospital uh, during her recovery period. Um, it, she wasn't doing as well as she should. And that continued on. I started worrying more and more about it and realizing that this wasn't going well uh, during the, uh, how long was that? Two months almost up to the heart attack. At that point, I realized that we may not, she may not make it because she wasn't showing the improvement and they were fighting to keep her there. And then after that, uh, she ended up, um, uh, we found out in January that the, um, her, the remission had ended, that it had failed. Mm-hmm. And the doctors said, well, let's have another, we'll do another chemo. That'll, and it didn't, she ended up getting sepsis from that. And it just, it was just a spiral. And I knew, I, I mean, when uh, I had to admit complete to myself when, uh, we learned that the transplant didn't work, that I was going to lose her. It's just how long, you know, how right. much time did I have? And then I thought I still had, we had months to go. I thought, oh, right. you know, uh, and that was part of the denial. Uh, uh, just not wanting to accept that she was, uh, that I was going to lose her, that she was going to go home. Did you feel helpless? Oh, totally. I knew the whole thing was, I, I felt helpless through all of it. You know, I knew what I was doing was just physical, that I could pray for her recovery, uh, but it was totally outside of my hands and that the doctors were guessing. I, I understood that very quickly. Leukemia is so incredibly individual and hard they're going deeply into genetics and one person's leukemia isn't the same as the next person's leukemia so it's it's an art kathy always told me i said honey it's an art 
they're either going to get it or they're not. You just can't hold the doctors responsible. They're doing the best they can. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't have arguments with them. I right. had a lot of arguments with them, but they were not over her treatment. Most of it was over her pain medication. Really big arguments about that. Uh, I was uh, an, an advocate as hard as I could, and I went up the chain uh, a number of times. But that was the only thing, you know, it, um, a great disappointment. Uh, I guess I uh, resolved that this was happening. I didn't know why. And I can still, I remember waiting for her, looking for her for so long. Um, and she just filled me up. Uh, Sorry, I'm, no, I'm, I'm pulling those layers back. And it's, it's really hard. Yeah. And I appreciate you even going there with this conversation. And I'm sorry that that the pain is still so raw, but I get it. I do. Get well, the memory's it. alive. If, if I didn't hurt like this, then it would invalidate what I felt for you know, what our relationship was. Yeah, that's a good point. Did with her knowledge of oncology, did she keep things from you? Not in the sense that she was trying to hide anything from you, but trying to protect you. Oh, continually. She kept me in the dark. Totally. Uh, I've learned. I had to search it out myself and then I didn't understand it as well. But yeah, she protected me. She knew. She knew when I can remember when the doctor came in and said it was leukemia. I her her whole countenance collapsed mm -hmm. for a moment, and then she put her face back on again and went forward. Um, yeah, she she's a brave girl, and mm -hmm. uh, and we had talked about this so many times. Uh, I've asked her about her patience and how it was and, and uh, how could she do it? How could she go back there all the time? And she just said, it's, it's who I am. It's what I do. I, it's just, it's me. I've been given this grace and ability to do this. And I feel the sadness of the loss, but this is me, you know? Do you think that it was an honor for her to pass that way, that God would take her in that manner, in the sense that she had this compassion for people and could identify with what they were going through? And I remember, what's the story of the man? It's going to drive me crazy now, but he went to the island with all of the lepers, and he didn't oh. separate himself from the lepers, and he eventually died of leprosy, but yeah. he considered it an honor to be there and to serve and knew he would die in that manner. I just was trying to, I guess I'm asking you to get into her head and that's really probably well, not a fair question. Well, no, there, there's a little bit of fairness for it uh, that she was dying. She had, she had suspicions what, to what it caused it. When she first started working in oncology, they had to mix their own chemo. And they had a vented area to do it, but she was exposed to some very caustic chemicals. And she told me that uh, she could get cancer from this sometime in the future. So she was, this was back, oh gosh, in the 
eighties when she had started seventies and eighty or eighties and nineties when she had started uh, the practice. So she was well aware because there's no history in her family for right. leukemia at all. Nothing, nobody. Really? Um, and uh, uh, I think she was probably right. I think it, this came about because what she did, but she knew it at the time. Right. And she, she knew that this was important enough. And she was, she was so interested and intrigued with it and, and connected to the people that that was never a thought for herself. She did everything she could to protect herself. But she had some accidents too, and that not worth talking about. That were uh, that just happened to nursing, in, in the process of nursing for thirty years. Um, she did say this may have come about because of my early uh, mixing, but she didn't really bring that up very much. She um, she just kept on going. You know, she she never gave up on getting over and she was surprised when it all failed. And even then, even when we came home, she wouldn't go in hospice and she and was to her was a point of giving up. And she never did. And the only reason that we started hospice was that I had her sister with me. And her girlfriend living with us to help care for at that time. And they had both voiced, what are we going to, if something happens to you, you're not here, what do we do? And I realized, well, it's time. And I brought them in because it was time. They needed to have some place to go to in case I wasn't there. So, yeah. And she accepted it then. Okay. Mm. The journey. I want to read something to you that you shared with me as we prepped for this conversation. And you'd sent me an email. And so I want to read you, oh, sure. what you said. And uh, and then I'm going to follow up with a question for you. Sure. So this is what you said. Grief is a hard thing. It comes unexpectedly with a thought and then a memory and explodes someplace between denial and acceptance. Emotionally and physically, it overwhelmed me like a great wave. In defense, I started to embrace, dive into the grief. I started looking for it and found that when the attacks started, I could squeeze and force the flood of emotion, pain, and sorrow out of myself. And I had some control over the experience. I sobbed and I wailed during those periods and said things to God that were buried deep within me. So here's my question. As a man, there's a lot of pressure to be tough and not show your pain because you're told it's weak. So what did it benefit you to not only embrace the grief, but to pursue it when you felt it starting to rise up? I have to go back to C.S. Lewis. And uh, he wrote in uh, the book, I can't remember um, the, the name of it right now, but it was about his wife dying and his grief afterwards. And he said, nobody told me that grief was so much like fear. I realized that I was scared of the grief coming into me because uh, it, it, it took complete control over me. I just, what was this? I guess when um, I had a circumstance in a furniture store where I went to buy a chair and I bought it and a gentleman 
uh, had mentioned grief share and I had responded to it and he asked me, you know, why did I ask him about grief share? And I fell apart. I, it was, I fell apart. I was wailing in the middle of uh, uh, this store and he was just so kind in, in, in shielding me and letting me just do what I had to do. Uh, well, from that point on, I realized I, I needed to confront it. I needed to, to, to deal with it or it was going to rule me. And I couldn't worry about how it threatened other people because it is threatening. It's very threatening uh, to have it happen. Um, then I needed to open up to it when I felt it coming and release into it and there were times honestly where i had i just watched myself and i wailed i roared i yelled and when it was how i just was watching my body do these things and these noises coming out of me uh i was so surprised what i sounded like when i cried God, it helped me to deal with I guess it was anger, too, uh, uh, because she had been taken from me. And that anger wasn't directed at, at the father. It was just anger. I was just mad that this thing had happened, and I couldn't stop it. I had to go for it. I had to, if I would have held back with it, in any way at all, I would have gotten sick and I would have started having anxiety attacks and it would have gotten much worse, much darker. Yeah. Uh, and I was fortunate that I realized it, that I knew. And that might have been, you know, some of the times that Kathy and I had talked about it, you know, uh, in, way in the past. Uh, so uh, I kind of chucked my manhood for in that part you, you don't matter i don't care during that that year and a half that i took care of kathy i held all that back i had a job to do she was my job everybody else around me can fall apart but i can't fall apart right now i'll do it later but i gotta take care of her and i can't let her see me um i couldn't hide my my fear and grief from her, but I couldn't allow it to dominate when we were together. It just, I couldn't do that because she needed to be supported. She needed to, to have somebody she could lean on emotionally and physically uh, to get through it, right. you know, to continue on it. Yeah. I think you just described in a nutshell, those who have to walk out this process of dying with their loved one versus someone like me where it was abruptly over. It happened. It was mm -hmm. over. It was done. And I think that someone in that has walked a journey like you have, you even have to wait to grieve. And it sounds like oh, even yeah. then you're just getting the, what's the next step? What's the next step next? And then it hits you at that point. A minute ago, you were quoting CS Lewis and you said, grief is like fear. I'd be interested in your um, input. To me, fear, when we face it, it was never as big 
as we thought it would be. But with grief, I just feel like that would be different. Did you find that once you, as you said, embraced this place of anguish, did you find that it, that the fear that it wasn't as big as you thought, or were you surprised at what you found? It sounds like from the sounds that you made, that was surprising, but it also sounds like it was cathartic, like it cleansed. It was, and it did, but how can I relate it? It's, it was inevitable. It's like you're, all of a sudden, you're in a situation like a car accident, and it's starting to happen. And you know you can't stop it. And you have to just let it go and go with it. Right. There was a lot of that. And and uh, by being scared of it, it just made me repress it more if I gave into the fear. But by uh, embracing it, going after it, uh, I could see how much I hurt. And... Uh, I just needed to pull it out of me. I had pushed it so deep just to, to get through. Cause it wasn't only Kathy, it was Kathy's family. It was my family. It was all of our neighbors. It was just, it was everything. Uh, I needed to, to be able to pull that out because I wasn't sleeping. I, I, I wasn't eating. Uh, uh, once everybody left, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. You know, the, the first couple of weeks by myself were terrible, but, ex, but I was able to, to do that releasing. I look at, a, it took about a month after her uh, death for me to start to work this out. There was crying, but there wasn't crying and it's so on this level, the, and it was, it's kind of like when your body surfed, you see this big wave coming, you know, Oh, I can't take that. It's going to crush me. And you dive into the middle of it. You're thrown all over the place, but you come out the other side and the foam and the stuff and you're exhausted, but okay. Mm -hmm. And you get back up and try and do it again. And eventually you learn that you can kind of ride them a little bit. And when you ride them, you get your head out in front of it and you feel like you're flying, you know, but it's not all that, but it, it's kind of, you have some control by when the feeling comes of initiating it, of chasing it. Mm. If we weren't together, I would have just fallen apart a little while ago. I would would gone for it. And, and but no, not not the right time. Okay. The, and you understand that. I can do it in private. Yeah. I can't do it in public. But people don't know what to do with it when they see it. I, I cried in the grocery line, the bank line for no reason at all. I'm standing there by myself. But total respect to you on, uh, on seeking that out because I held back for a while feeling like that if I started crying, I would never stop. And that was a. Uh, that was scary. That was a lot of fear involved in mm -hmm. that. Like, how do you come back from there? If you enter into that, how do you come back from that? So uh, I applaud you for not only doing that, but also talking about it, because I, I hope this will give some men permission, um, maybe just the ability, hope. the ability to do it because they say, oh, my gosh, it's cleansing. It keeps anxiety, you know, not away, but down. It helps me heal like it's moving me through this healing process to embrace this and to express it. So I think that's huge. So thank you for that. 
Oh, sure. And I would encourage any anybody that you need to find a place alone. You need to have the freedom that it's only you and God there. And you don't have to worry about anybody walking in on you. If it means going to a hotel room someplace mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever it takes you, you need to be by yourself because yeah. you can't. I eventually could cry with my daughter mm -hmm. because of this. Mm -hmm. I And uh, uh, just admit how much I missed her mom. And that was with my grandkids there. And they got to see me uh, releasing that grief, which I think is important. They, they need to have some understanding because they don't understand. My grandson still doesn't quite understand what happened. It's just that she's gone. Yeah. Uh, how does an eight-year-old deal with that, work it through? Your grief is going to do something to you. It's going to take control of you. It's going to beat you up. If you restrain it, it's going to hurt you physically and emotionally and mentally more than dealing with it and and going after it. It seems like it's never going to end. It was it was a month every day, at least a month every day, maybe longer than that, that this was going on. It's been good since then. I mean, it gets it gets better. Good is a wrong word. <laughs> Good's the wrong idea but it's better. It is better. If you don't address it, it will wait for you. And being human like we are, we will create these survival skills and whatever we think will be able to protect us and keep us from feeling that pain. And to my knowledge, none of those survival skills will ever serve us well if we don't take our pain to God and let him, let him process it with us. Yeah, I... You know, I didn't lose trust. I always had trust, and, and giving in to the grief was was a lot of trust. It was vocalizing it and and being very physical about it. Um, and as time's gone on, Kathy has gotten further from me. I have some recordings, so I have her voice, but I can't listen to them. Mm. You know, I just I have her with my grandson. Uh, we were in, in Atlanta running around in the living room at Christmas time. Yeah. And, uh, but I just can't listen to them, you know? I'm, I'm with you on that. I couldn't even look at pictures. I can't look at videos still. I, I cannot listen to his voice. It just wrecks me. Yeah. Jesse was, uh, had told me in the between times. Yes, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, Jesse, my That's daughter. Okay was going to take care, had a friend that would take pictures of Kathy and put them together for the memorial yeah. so we could uh, to be played. Well, I kept asking her about it, asking her about it, and got to a month before, and she didn't have anything yet, and the girl wasn't doing anything yet. And Jesse was trying to put them together and had all his stuff numbered out. I said, give them to me. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So for a week, uh, uh, I edited it. And I cried so much during that time, but I, it, it was so cathartic because I found music that I knew she loved and was able to put it together and use pictures of family and friends. And I probably did it for too long. I probably, but it didn't matter. It was, it, it was quite 
a wonderful memory of her. It helped a lot. So, and I was, it would get to the point where I have to stop. I had just cried. So I had to stop. So, but I kept going back to it. Now, I don't know if any in the family had have watched that video again. They all asked for uh, uh, DVDs of it. So I burned them all. They all got, and I got copies of it too. And I still occasionally watch it. The last time I watched it, I was teared. Uh, That's all. Mm. And it was like, I start, it was more the acceptance of knowing that, yeah, you're gone, honey. And um, I'll see you later. I hate that you're gone, but yeah, I've got to, I've got to continue. And it's not, it's not a bad thing to continue. You have to leave some things beyond behind you and move on with your Mm -hmm. life. If you're left here, got something to do and it may be just taking care of your grandkids because they need or maybe something bigger i don't know um maybe i need to learn something that i haven't learned yet you know Mm -hmm. that's really possible now that's 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 really really that's really really big yeah I love um, the idea that we never stop learning with God, whether it's here or eternity. I don't think we'll ever arrive at a place where we know everything about God. And every day is going to be a new revelation of his beauty and of his excellence. When it comes to the question that we all come to God with, why? Do you have any why questions left for God? Are you hanging on to anything that has not been resolved? Not that I can think of right now. Uh, the why I was asking him, I know it was, why did you take her? And why does it hurt so much? And, you know, why can't this all be undone? All those, because it hurts so much. And as the, as the, I got distanced from uh, my emotions in the loss, the whys became less because I knew there was no answer. Even when I was asking him, I knew there was no answer. Um, And losing uh, a loved one, it's in some ways um, like Abraham uh, and Isaac. You know, it's just you're asked to give up that which is closest to you. Um, And part of our being believers is accepting that is moving forward that the that we believe god uh abraham believed that isaac would be returned to him i believe that kathy will be returned to me when i when i pass on you know something else coming out of it is that the idea of uh, of dying is not as frightening as it once was and the overarching question that i had and i remember it because um, uh, it, it, it challenged all my faith was that, are you okay? Is she okay? Mm-hmm. You know, is she okay? Cause I've believed in you all my life. I believed in you as, as long as we've been together, but is she okay? Just, that's all I need to know that she's okay. And she's happy and I'm good because I'm crying. Cause I don't have her, but I know she's okay. Mm-hmm. And in his own way, the Lord revealed to me 
that, yeah, she is okay. You know, your trust is, is justified and verified. I'm not lying to you. Uh, I, I, I'm, did he give you a vision? Did he give you a scripture? Did he give you a song? How did he reveal himself to you? He gave me peace, but he gave it to me in a dream. And uh, I've been particularly hard about it. And just, it was really aching. And it was like, I woke up. I, and honestly, I came wide awake and I looked and there was Kathy. And it was like she was looking through a window, but it wasn't a window. It was like it, where she, she was this this hole in the dream where she was at was more beautiful, more wonderful, so much more than I, I it's one of the you can't describe, but the colors were blasting me. Mm-hmm. And I saw her and I, it was like, honey, I, I can't be looking at it. We can't touch. We, I, I just because you're there and I'm here. And uh, she went like this, put her finger up to her mouth and just went over and touched me on my lips mm-hmm. and, and just smiled at me. And then I kind of, kind of faded out. I woke up. The Kathy I saw was the Kathy. There's a picture of her uh, uh, with a group of people, but it was that picture of her kind of looking up. And she it just, I've always thought it was the most lovely picture of her that ever was captured. But she never really wore hair that way or only for that picture. And it was that, but it was that more amplified. It, it, it was so much clearer. So from that point, yeah, okay, I'm good. I, 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 I'm good with this, Father. We're, uh, I don't have to worry about her. That was my release. That was a huge gift he gave I to bet. me. In the midst of such incredible pain, what is something or some things that you're thankful for? My first thought is uh, just before she passed, I was praying. I was so exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, it been a year and a half, and I know she was going and suffering. And I just asked Father, can't this be over? You know, can't, can't you just take her home? And she was home in a, two days later. You know, that... I have no guilt for that. It, uh, it was, please release her from where she's at. Mm. Um, I'm very thankful for the support of my my family and friends, and not having been approached with, oh, she's in a better place now. I didn't. I didn't get any of those. <laughs> I wrote about all the wrong things to say to somebody yeah. that's grieving. I didn't get any of them. That's um, awesome. Because people do the best they can. They don't mean any harm. But if they've never stood in your shoes or my shoes, they don't they don't get it. They don't no, understand. They don't. And so we you receive always... it with grace. But that is awesome that you did not get that. Yeah, I, fortunate. And yeah. Uh, that might have been partly because of the time between her dying and the memorial. Uh, but I. Even in uh, at the memorial when I was greeting people afterwards, they were just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I loved her so much. And hugs. I got a lot. No, no words, just hugs. Yeah, that was that was really good. That was really good. I'm thankful for um for Amber. I've introduced Amber to you 
Yes. As a matter of fact, now that you've talked about Amber, tell us about this blonde that is helping you through the healing process and getting you out to see more people. All right. Well, in my studying, in my reading up on grief and going to grief share, it became apparent that I had to do something. You can't sit in a house the whole time. Well, friend, oh, two years earlier, uh, retired uh, uh, um, a golden retriever and gave her to me. We uh, attempted to do therapy work before Kathy got sick. We went into it completely. And uh, she is a therapy dog, uh, not service, but very much as an emotional service dog would be, but for everybody and uh, for anybody she meets. She is so wonderful about it. And I get so much joy walking, just being there with her and letting her do it and seeing how her interaction with people, with everybody just is so wonderful Uh, and she as we walking if she sees somebody she's behind me and she has to go see that go greet that person she has to go do it and it's not a bouncing greet she just she walks up quietly sits in front of him just looks at him immediately it pulls it out um she's helped me tremendously tremendously uh i can't say it's the same cure for um everybody or anybody else but it got me outside myself. Uh, I found that I can go in to oncology clinics, to infusion centers. I do it a couple times a week and I'm able to sit down and talk with people. I feel so at home in that setting. Um, And with her, she's just, she's the thing that opens the door and I get to come in behind her and uh, she opens up the conversation and I get to share with people. Uh, and uh, sometimes she'll go into a room and she'll look and she'll find somebody and pull me over to it. And that person needs her so badly in that moment. And she knows it. She knows it. And it, it's just, just let her do what she does. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. I believe when we take what we've been through and we turn around and extend ourselves to somebody else, a helping hand, um, a listening ear, whatever the case might be. We get to take part in this portion of our redemption story. And so when you think about the pain, in what ways has God redeemed your pain? Because we serve a God that is very mm. purposeful in the sense that nothing is ever wasted in his value system. So how has God been redeeming? How has God redeemed? And I might want to note for the listeners that your wife has only been passed. She passed in April of 2021. Right. I be- okay. And so right. it hasn't been that long. So there is much more redemption to come. But I was just curious to know if you've seen any other any other types of redemption, although this is powerful enough to stop right there with Amber. She's, I think it's the times that I've been able to share with people in the clinics about Kathy, about what she went through. And let them know that I understand the connection and make lay myself bare to the people that are hurting. Um, I've always been Gabby. I mean, that's talking has never been a problem of mine, but I always did it shielding my heart. And uh, I don't do that so much anymore. And I'm much more prone to, to approach somebody 
And, uh, and I said, Amber just is uh, the key that opens the door that allows me to do it. And it's quite marvelous it, it, to see her interacting is, well, I take her to my doctors. I take her to church. I introduce her to our pastor. And he said, oh, bring her, bring her. So we're there on Sundays. So I go to Bible study and then we're in the reception area. And sometimes it's kids. Sometimes it's a couple older folks. Somebody somehow during that transition time between services, she does it. She does what she does. And uh, it's, it's great to me. It is. It's uh, uh, like being a wingman. You don't have to say anything. <laughs> Just sit back and let, her, let it happen. Um, I'm not trying yeah. to. I was gonna say I'm not trying to spiritualize this, but you can't help but think that that's Kathy's work still going on through Amber um, or yeah, any other dog that comes yeah. along and serves in that manner. Her heart was always there. She always regretted that she had to retire for physical reasons. She just mm. she just loved work. It, it was she loved doing it. She just did, uh, and it was my joy to support her. That was my job. From the time we got married, I realized that my job was to to support protect and serve her and that everything else yeah. was secondary it was secondary and the reason i went to work is because i had to give her a house and feed her and take care <laughs> of those things for and, and it was always my joy i wish a lot of people a lot more people felt that way because I don't know about you, but when I said those wedding vows, I really didn't think about them till death do you part or what in sickness and in health really meant. It was just a barrier to get to the I do part. But when you're walking that stuff out in a real time experience, it is, it becomes very, that's where the rubber meets the road. And then you're wondering what in the world? Yeah. Well, you don't come on doing this, I think. Uh, a one-time thing. Uh, we struggled a lot. We, I mean, I had a lot of job losses. We had to move a lot of times. Uh, both of us had many surgeries. We'll just put it that way. And, uh, and you learn through those times of supporting one another, just how strong you are with one another. So it culminates. I always had a, a, a prayer I said so many years ago, and it was in the back of my mind that, Father, if one of us or when one of us goes, let us be a witness. If it's me, let Kathy be a witness. And if it's her, let me be a witness to those around me of your love and, and of your hope. And I think he granted me that request. I think that's, uh, I was given that opportunity uh, to do that. And it was all love. It, it was all love. Everything was love. This illness was not, it wasn't even the enemy. It just was. It was just this thing. But there was so much love involved everywhere in the pain. Uh, and I don't think you would have seen that or I would have known that unless you experienced that pain. Um, God uses pain to, for us to grow and to understand him it helped me to understand a little bit about what it was for him to allow jesus to be murdered so horrifically and how much it hurt how much it hurt me i know it didn't approach what it hurt him 
or even hurt Jesus when he was on the cross, not the pain, but the emotional separation, uh, that anguish was so great. It gives us a little window into that. I think part of that anguish is the fact that God had to turn his back on his son. And I often wonder if Jesus wasn't afraid of the pain and the suffering and the people rejecting him and things like that, but it was his father that was going to turn his back on him. He was going to be separated um, from his Mm -hmm. father. But as believers, we don't have that fear because like you said, like I believe um, God has gone before us and paved a way for Mm -hmm. that reunion uh, with our loved ones. And and at the price of his son, he did that. So he didn't lift his hand to stop your wife's death nor my husband's death, but nor did he lift his hand to stop the death of his son so that we can be reunited with our Mm -hmm. loved ones. And, And I think that's what a good father does. Yes. Not just a solution in that instance, not just a solution, but a reunion mm-hmm. face to face again. I agree. I agree. It, it, it's been a tremendous test. Test is the wrong word. I guess learning experience uh, and a reassurance to myself of how much that I really do believe yeah. that uh, that I believe and I understand his total forgiveness that when he forgave us, it was everything, including the stuff after us acknowledging mm-hmm. and accepting, especially those things, yeah. because those are the ones that that stab in the heart the hardest, the ones you, uh, that happen afterwards. But he has. And then once we're in our Lord's hands, it's forever. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't lose anybody. He keeps us with him um, and learning how to love. I know I must have asked, asked Lord, I don't know how to love. Teach me how to love. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, asking for patience and asking how to love, there's a cost to it. Yeah, it is. And uh, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't ask us for our permission. I do have some joy and some happiness. Um, maybe I'm transitioning uh, out. Uh, of the of part of this grief, another chapter, another time. Uh, but I you know, I don't ever get over telling people how much I loved her and mm. how wonderful she was and showing her off. It is um, obvious in our conversations that we've had the one before this one and and of course the formal podcast this formal podcast episode. It's very evident how much you loved her, and I would love to hear her side of the story as well because I'm sure she loved you just as affectionately and just as deeply. But it's a beautiful thing to to sit in my position and listen to that and and hear the depth of that kind of love. You think it's it's gone out of style, uh, so it's refreshing to the heart. I think there's easy love but there's still real connections that take place i i know it i meet people that are there too if the listeners can remember only one thing about our conversation today what is that one thing that you want them to remember hope in the darkness mm-hmm. trust and hope in the darkness that the the fear and the pain how wretched all of it is that at the end of it, Jesus is still there, and and there is hope, and there is trust. It grows in you. Uh, if you're His, it will grow in you. He will give you the ability to do it, and you will go through it just fine. 
you'll make it. You make it in the end. You don't think you're going to. Uh, you, you don't see how the, anything could be right again, but it will be. You have a living God to fall back on and to ask these questions to instead of having nothing and being scared. Kathy wasn't scared. She wasn't scared. Uh, she didn't like the idea, but she wasn't scared. And I think that's that's a great gift that we're given. I agree with that. When you think about the darkest point where you'd maybe hit a brick wall and just laid it all down with God, can you recall something beautiful that he said to you, spoke to you, downloaded into your spirit? The greatest relief I have, I've already told you about, is that dream from Kathy. I had a, uh, an opportunity to speak to a young lady that has uh, terminal uh, pancreatic liver cancer. And I was able to be pretty frank with her and, um, and open about what her situation was. I couldn't have done that before. I, I would have run from it. I saw today when I, um, I had a doctor's visit this morning, went there, I noticed a young lady that her head was bald. And, and in the past, I would have looked away. I want to go up and talk to her. I want to go, you know, I'm chemo. What are you doing? You know, how are you doing today? Things going on. It just, I've been given a freedom for my own fears and my own pride, if you will, to approach people that are like that, uh, that are going through that type of hurt. Uh, that's a great gift. I've been given that, that freedom to do that. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit ministering to you, because bitterness is the other way. And it's really easy to go down that hole of bitterness and to, to cut yourself off from everybody and, and live in the darkness. But uh, Nah, you, 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 you just got to do those things that are hard. You have to do the hard things. Yeah, there's a lot of comfort that you would see somebody like that, meaning if they felt seen by you. And mm -hmm. I, I think there, there must be an element of feeling like they're not alone because of you coming over and taking an interest in their story and who they are and what they're going through. So I do see that as a beautiful portion of redemption, that you have that sort of courage, that sort of connection, that interest, and the ability to go over and have that conversation with somebody. I can't say that I would, because I, it seems very awkward and very foreign to me. So that is, that's, that's quite a gift. Quite well, a gift. I have a key. I have Amber. Oh, she, opens the the she opens the door. She opens the door. I'm given the opportunities. Where I was once threatened, I'm not anymore. And where mm. I was once afraid, I'm not. Doesn't right. mean there aren't th other things that do that to me. But in this right. instance, mm. no, I'm not. Well, you have been wonderful, Mr. Doolin. I deeply appreciate your time, your transparency. I know this is going to be salve to some hearts that are really broken, shattered, hurting, devastated. So thank you for your time. And I just hope that people will remember that in the darkest valley, God's light will shine the way, will lead the way out into those green pastures once again. Thank you, Mr. Doolin. Thank you very much, Sherry. 
Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.